Hi everyone, welcome to the Understand the Bible podcast. We've skipped a few chapters in Revelation today. We're back on Revelation. This time it's on chapter 20. And you might like to have a look at that passage uh, and read it before listening to the sermon. Maybe have it open while you're listening. But this time we are thinking about how the tables are turned on evil. It may seem like evil is always in the ascendancy, but actually how God turns the tables and how one day evil will be defeated. So we're going to be looking at that today. Just a reminder that uh, there is more content available on the YouTube channel. Uh, There wasn't a new video this week, but there is an online live stream Bible study, uh, which happens on a Wednesday afternoon. And if you'd like to support Understand the Bible, you can do that through prayer, and I really appreciate prayer, or you can do that uh, through financial means, or both, if you'd like. And all of the details about that are in the links below. Thanks so much, everyone. I hope that you enjoy, and I'll see you again soon. Well, Revelation, as we've been looking at uh, the last few weeks, I think you could get the impression from Revelation so far that evil will always be in the ascendancy. That, you know, the people of God are, you know, just always going to be tiny and small and powerless, and that evil is always going to have the end in this lifetime. So although good may triumph right at the end, that you know there's a always going to be evil which is which is dominant now i think that may have been the case for what we've been looking at so far but actually in this passage i think the tables are turned if you like this is where the tables are turned on evil and this is looking at things from another perspective now just to to say as i mentioned just a moment ago we have skipped a few chapters in revelation so the last chapter we looked at was chapter 14 So 15, 16, 17, 18 and 19 we've skipped, I'm afraid. Um, I just couldn't quite fit it all in before the summer and I wanted to get it done before the summer. So we've skipped a bit. What we've missed is largely the the downfall of Babylon. Um, So, you know, thinking about the the city, the, the empire, the empires of the world which stand against God has been their downfall. So that's what we've, that's what we've missed. But this passage doesn't uh, depend on that. And in this passage, we have this kind of vision, another vision of the end. And, um, you know, like I said, we've had several visions of this. And Revelation kind of keeps circling around and coming back to the same kind of things, looking at it from all different angles. You know, like when you're on a, you're on a walk, um, for example, you're on holiday, maybe visiting a, a cathedral. You walk around the outside and you take a picture of it from several different angles. You know, and that's a bit like what we're seeing here. Um, so what happens in this in this vision then well it's um, another angel coming down out of heaven having a key to the abyss and holding a great chain so he seizes the dragon uh, the ancient snake the devil and bound him for a thousand years threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended so what's happening here I think this is the counterpart to uh, chapter 12. You may remember a few weeks ago, we looked at chapter 12, verse 9, which says, The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient snake called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. So in chapter 12, we see the dragon sort of hurled down to the earth and set free. But in chapter 20, we see him chained and bound. So what's happening here? And I think what's happening is we are seeing things from a different perspective. 
we're seeing things from a different perspective. And what this is saying to us is that Satan's power is limited. You know, he is on a chain, he's, he's on a leash. He does not have limitless power, but his power is very, very limited. What period is it talking about, the thousand years? Now this is, uh, as some of you may know, this, uh, there are Protestant denominations which have um, factions based on the interpretation of these three verses. Um, you know, are you amillennial or premillennial or postmillennial or, or whatever it is? And I mean, I, I don't know about you folks, but as, as I've been going through Revelation, I've just been thinking more and more how bizarre that is. Just because how many of the numbers that we've seen in Revelation have actually been literal in, in that sense? You know, I, I think what this is, and this, this is the people I've looked at, the commentaries I've looked at, have said this is actually another representation of the time that we're living in. It's John's way of, of he likes numbers, John, and he, um, I think he's just portraying this current time that we're living in, again, in a, in a different way. So the thousand years, he is actually saying, this is the time that we're living in now. Now you might think, hold on a second there, Phil. How can Satan be bound now when we see evil happening in the world? That doesn't seem to make sense. But actually, that is what, just what the Bible says elsewhere. It's a tension that we find elsewhere. For example, Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, who says, uh, He, uh, sorry, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he, that's Jesus, made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So we know that evil has been defeated at the cross. And yet we still see evil in the world. And that's the tension that we're living in. That's the tension of Revelation. It's saying that yes, there is evil in the world, but its, its power is broken because we know that Jesus has triumphed over it by the cross. It's a paradox, if you like, saying that yes, evil has been defeated, but we still see it around at the moment, just until the end. But it, its days are numbered, if you like. The writing is on the wall for, for evil if I may borrow, um, borrow from Daniel, as we've been having on our Sunday morning. So um, what happens next? Um, he said, I saw thrones, this is verse 4, on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. And they had a worship the beast, and they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Uh, but the rest of the dead didn't come to life till the thousand years were ended. Now, what is going on here? I think it's, I mean, we know elsewhere in Revelation that you know, those who have been martyred, who have lost their lives for the sake of Christ, are there's a kind of special place for them. Um, those who, those who, who testify to Jesus to the end, to the point of losing their lives, I think God does hold a special place uh, for them. But I think it's interesting, it's, it's as if these people have got a kind of life, a kind of true life. And it made me think actually what Jesus said in, in Mark, uh, Mark chapter 8, verse 35, where Jesus says, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. It's that thing, isn't it? That actually when we lose our lives, 
for the sake of Christ, then we find true life. And as these, it says here, they came to life and reigned with Christ, you know, it is actually uh, finding true life, finding the, what, everything that life is, is to be. Um, so I think this is, what it's, this is what it's saying, that actually, you know, true life is found in actually giving, the giving up of our lives. And when we do that, then we find true life. And we'll come, we'll come back to that in a minute. Um, so then at the end of this thousand years, it says, verse uh, 7, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations uh, in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, and gather them for battle. Um, and uh, then they, they march across the earth, they surround the camp of God's people, but fire comes and devours them, and um, the devil and all of those um, satanic uh, beings are thrown into the, the lake of burning sulfur. So, what is this saying? Um, I wonder if it's, it, what this is saying is that at the end, there will come a brief moment, brief being the operative word, where the devil is, is given reign to bring about the, the nations against God's people, against Christians, in some very direct way. And the imagery of Gog and Magog is drawn from Ezekiel chapter uh, 38 and 39 where God sort of entices the nations to make war against Israel. And I think that's the, the, the image here, isn't it? That it's the nations making war against God's people. Obviously not, not Jerusalem in a physical sense. Um, but it's interesting how so often when we see things happening across the world, it's against Christians, isn't it? And I think this could be, you know, this like the final fling of evil, if you like. But... God defeats them. It says fire came down from heaven and, and devoured them. And it doesn't mention a battle. It doesn't mention that there's a big battle. It's just, it's just the end. It's over. It made me think a bit of, um, you know, in The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. But how um, at the end of the, the book, and I think this is, comes over more in the book than in the film, but when Aslan arrives, the battle was over. No more battle. You know, when Aslan's there, no more battle. And, and that's... I think like it is that yes you know this is the final fling of evil but it will all be over in an instant you know as soon as the lord decides i think of what he says in um, uh, exodus chapter 14 verse 14 uh, where he says uh, uh, the lord will fight for you you need only to be still and I think that's the, that's the thing, isn't it? The Lord will fight for you. The, the Lord is our defence. So then in the, the final um, paragraph there, verses 11 to 15, this is another uh, vision of that final judgment. And he has a vision of the great white throne and him who is seated on it. Uh, the earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. Uh, do you know that hymn, what was it, that, that uh, Christmas carol? Um, in the bleak midwinter, earth and heaven flee away when he comes to reign. And I just thought it was interesting. It's, it's not one of my favourite carols, to be honest. I feel, think it's a little bit, you know, romantic, sort of. It's not really snowy, isn't it? And, but uh, but, uh, but um, actually, I like it for, for that, quoting this verse. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence. And um, we see the judgment of the dead. Books are opened. And that the dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. Um, and um, each person was judged according to what they had done. 
Notice here that there is a contrast. So that it says the dead were judged according to what they had done, and that everything was written in the book. And imagine, I don't know if you've ever done um, Christianity Explored, we've done it a few times here, but one of the, the um, sort of pictures which uh, Rico Tice uses in that course is imagine you know, your life, your whole life, is recorded on a videotape or you know, all of your, the things that you've done, all of your thoughts as well. And imagine that that was accessible for everyone to see. And he said, I'd be so ashamed of that if that was the case. And wouldn't, wouldn't we all, if really all of our darkest deeds, our darkest thoughts, which we thought no one else was watching, was exposed. But it says, we're judged according to what they had done. But then, but then it says, verse 15, anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So actually, the choice is not between... Um, the choice is between being judged for what we've done, our deeds, or being found in the book of life. And that is, I think that's what John is saying, isn't it? That actually, it's not our deeds that save us. It is being found in the Lamb's book of life. It is being covered by Jesus' blood. I think a lot of people have got this image, like, um, you know, in the um, Tony Hancock, in the Hancock's Off Hour, he did this a famous one called The Blood Donor. You might have uh, heard that one. And... and um, there's one point in, in, that, um, in that little, um, when, you know, we're sitting in the waiting room in the hospital and he gets chatting to another, another chap and he says, you know, how much money did you give to the orphans or whatever it was? And, uh, but it, it turns out that Tony Hancock, you know, every time he gives money or whatever, he keeps a little book and writes it down in the little book. And, uh, and he says, you know, so when I get to, when I get to the gates and when the, you know, the, the Lord says, what did you do? I said, here you are, might have that lot up. You know, I'll give them the book. And I think a lot of people have got that idea, though, haven't they, of what it is to get into heaven, that we've got our little book of good deeds, we give that to God, and, and then he'll let us into heaven if we've done enough. Well, actually, no, that's not, the, that's not the way. If all of us were judged only according to our good deeds, then none of us could get into heaven. It's only those who are found in the Lamb's book of life. That's the, the choice that we have. I bought with the blood of Christ. So let's, let's take stock then of this passage. Um, I know there's a lot in Revelation, and I know that, you know, I'm, I'm struck by this every time we go through that there's so much you could say, and we have to sort of skim over a lot. There's so much imagery here and so many wonderful things that you could talk about. Um, this passage is an encouragement. So often, I think in church we talk about the struggle with sin as almost as if it's an, an unwinnable struggle and, um, and you know as if we're just going to have to do the same things over and over again for the rest of our lives until we die and then but actually I think what this passage says is that you know Satan is chained his power is limited and I think that should give us confidence that we can win some victory against sin in this life in, in a personal level and so I hope that, you know, you're not expecting things to just, you know, never to, to, to change or improve in your life for the rest of your life. No, but actually through the grace of God, we can make progress in the Christian life. And I hope it's even that something we should expect to see, that we are making progress in grace in the Christian life. Also, I think we should expect to see some victory in the world as well that things are not just going to go from bad to worse all the time. And, um, 
you know, we, we've seen some examples of that, haven't we? You know, think about slavery, for example, the abolition of slavery. That was a moment when, you know, I think good did triumph over evil. Or you think um, that happened a few weeks ago with um, Roe versus Wade, how in America now women do not have a constitutional right to have an abortion. So in some states now it's banned. And I think that's a great victory for life, isn't it, and for the Lord. So I think we do see some victory over evil. We mustn't expect things just to get worse and worse and worse all the time. But we do need to keep fighting. Um, I think this, this teaches us that we find true life at the cross. As we saw, as Jesus says, that life happens when we lay our lives down. And I think the martyrs are kind of symbolic of that, aren't they? Because not all of us are called to lay our lives down in a physical sense. A few, a few are. Um, in this country, not, not really. But it, you know, across the world, we know that there are many Christians dying for their faith. We are not called to make that sacrifice, but all of us are called to lay down our lives. And when we lay them down at Jesus' feet, actually that's when we find true life. And that's the wonderful thing, isn't it? You know, we lay our lives down at Jesus' feet and we find life. And the cross is the path of victory. I think we see here that God does defend his people. You know, that Satan's power is limited that God will protect his people. And you think of the, the battle, you know, that the fire came from heaven. And that was not, not a victory achieved by the strength of the people, but simply through God and simply through trusting uh, in him. And I think that it, it teaches us finally that the, the final uh, decision, the final kind of judgment, will be between people who trust in themselves, in their own works, or people who are trusting in Jesus. Because we know that through our own good deeds, no one's going to stand. It says in, I think it's in, it's in um, Psalm 103, um, possibly 130, but is it, you know, that if you, Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? You know, and the answer is no one could stand if God kept a record of sins. But through Christ, through his blood, then it's wiped clean, and then we can enter into... Uh, the new creation, which we'll be thinking about the next couple of weeks. I'd just like to finish with some words, actually some words from uh, Martin Luther King, who knew something about struggling against evil. And um, this was um, uh, a speech he gave, or part of a speech he gave in the late 60s. When our days become dreary, with low hovering clouds of despair, and when our nights become darker than a thousand midnights, let us remember that there is a creative force in this universe working to pull down the gigantic mountains of evil, a power that is able to make a way out of no way and transform dark yesterdays into bright tomorrows. Let us realise that the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. Let us realise that William Cullen Bryant is right. Truth, crushed to earth, will rise again. Let us go out realising that the Bible is right. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. This is our hope for the future, and with this faith we will be able to sing in some not-too-distant tomorrow with a cosmic past tense. We have overcome. We have overcome. Deep in my heart I did believe we would overcome. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb. And that's the message of Revelation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we 
thank you that we do have this promise that we uh, will overcome by the blood of the Lamb. And we pray that you would give us that sense deep in our hearts that uh, we will triumph through him. And that we pray you would help us to see um, the ways that you are working in us, Lord, day by day, by your grace. And to look for the changes in the world which you bring. Uh, and we pray, Lord, that you would help us to trust not in ourselves and our own good deeds, but only in the blood of Jesus Christ uh, to save us and to protect us and bring us safely to that new creation. We pray these things in his name. Amen.